Thank you very much. What a, what, a, what a gift we've received already today, haven't we? Just in worship. Thank you. Let's give them a hand. Thank you very much. Let's pray as we, uh, we begin. And so, Father, we thank you, for, thank you for teaching us to pray. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to sit at your feet and hear your voice. So, Lord, form, form your Son in us. Lord, free us from shackles that would hold us back. And may your kingdom come and your will be done in us and through us, I pray this day in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, if you need a Bible, raise your hands. We're in Matthew chapter 6. We're doing a series called Pray Like This. It's on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we've had two weeks already. Rich is talking us through, taking us through Abba and Hallowed Be Thy Name. And uh, today we're going to move into Thy Kingdom Come. Now, there's only 72 words uh, in the original language of this prayer. Ten lines in your Bible. Uh, but these... Ten lines have the capacity to change your whole life and the way you pray, the way you live, your goals. In fact, the depth and the breadth of the Lord's Prayer is such that you could listen seriously to a thousand sermons on just one of the lines, Our Father, or Hallowed Be Thy Name, or Thy Kingdom Come, and you still will not have exhausted all the depth that's in that, those few words. That, that's how rich the Lord's Prayer is. And, uh, and so our goal in our prayer is that this will become something you'll memorize, you'll, you'll do it. Uh, if you're someone who pauses for daily offices, morning, midday, evening, uh, this, is al- this alone is worth a whole pause. You-, you can just pause on each line, but to stop in the middle of your day and just pray the Lord's Prayer thoughtfully and, and slowly. What a, way to end- what a way to do your day, and- or to end your day with it. And so I encourage you, uh, you want to begin praying this during these weeks that we're, we're preaching on it. So again, the Lord's Prayer begins with um, three petitions. Uh, our Father who is in heaven... And then he had three petitions. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And, uh, and what, what it's saying is, before you get to any of your needs, your, your problems, your struggles, the Lord says, there is nothing more important in life. There is no reality greater than this. My name, my glory, uh, my kingdom, and, uh, and, and that's what I want you to pray that for us. Your kingdom come, your name be hallowed, and uh, your will be done. So again, these three words, your kingdom come, which is our focus today, believe me, just getting these three words will, will, will revolutionize your life. Because, again, there's so much in it. So uh, we're going to pray the prayer. We're going to begin every sermon with it, um, which is, I'm sorry, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together uh, as, as a group, all right? So again, let's pray it meaningfully and thoughtfully before God. All right, together. Our Father, who is in heaven Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So again, our theme today is your kingdom come. Now, if you Google and you put in there, who are the 10 greatest leaders of all time? Or who are the 10 most important leaders of all time? Or the most influential leaders of all time? Uh, they'll give you lists. People like Alexander the Great and Napoleon and Socrates and George Washington. Martin Luther King's on the list and Gandhi. So I want you to think, for me, think with me for a minute. Think of a leader, maybe in your life, that you have just greatly admired. Uh, or think of someone in history uh, who's really inspired you. 
And uh, because they, they personify integrity, they, they fight against evil wrongs and injustices, they, they labor for the oppressed and the marginalized, they, they inspire you, they touch something inside of you that, that you want to make the world a better place. You want to join them. You, 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 and you, you would trust them to make difficult decisions uh, because you know they're, they're wise and you know they're good, you know they're merciful, you know they're kind. And in fact, uh, you can actually say that you know I, I, I can suffer with them and I would do it because I know they're doing something good. Now if I made my list of who are some leaders that I would greatly admire, it uh, would be people like Mother Teresa and Francis of Assisi and, and Nelson Mandela, uh, Lincoln for sure for me, uh, because there's something about great leaders that make you want to be generous. Uh, they bring out the best in you. Again, try to imagine that whoever your great leader is, they invite you to be in their inner circle, join their team. I mean, what would that feel like? So what happens though, with human leaders, we tend to idealize them, but the reality is every human leader, great as they may be, has a light side and they have a shadow side. And when you get close to them or you get to learn more about them, one tends to grow, oh no, because they have a shadow and uh, they cast that shadow around them as well. So, so today we're talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus. And that kingdom has a leader, a king, his name is Jesus. And if you're going to summarize what kingdom means, really I could summarize it in five words. It expresses this, God's dream for the world. God's dream for the world. So when you pray, your kingdom come, just think of, you're praying for God's dream for the world to come. It's a nice, simple summary that encapsulates all the complexity of the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is the king, and he's infinitely good. He's infinitely wise. He's infinitely kind. And, and the way we, we know what the kingdom is like is Jesus came to earth, and he actually didn't just teach the kingdom, he embodied the kingdom, he lived it, and we see it the way he drove out demons and healed the sick and raised the dead, the way he served others. And the amazing thing about the kingdom is he doesn't just say, okay, follow my orders and do what I tell you to do. He actually invites us to join with him, to partner with him, to be actually his friend. He invites us in the inner circle to actually be like him. He comes to live inside of us, and we join him in expressing God's dream for the world. So, so a nice way to look at this is, is a painting. Now, dim the lights here for me for just a moment. And this is called The Call of Matthew by a famous 17th century painter named Caravaggio. And if you look closely, you'll, you'll see uh, Jesus in the center here. And here's Jesus over here. And that's probably Peter. And he's pointing his finger here. And here's Matthew right here. Matthew's at his tax collector's booth. And you'll notice he's inviting Matthew. Now Matthew, again, if you know the history, Matthew's unloved, he's hated, he's a scapegoat, he's not even allowed to testify in court. He is truly unlovely and worthy of shame. And Jesus calls him. And you see Matthew's eyes? They're locked onto Jesus. These other guys, they're absorbed, they're not even looking. They see him. But Matthew's gaze captures Jesus' gaze. And Jesus is inviting Matthew to... God's dream for the world, to a kingdom. And he's inviting Matthew to actually participate in it, to a journey. It's a complete turnaround. In the same way, every time you pray, uh, Lord, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, you are com it's a complete turnaround. It's, it's receiving the invitation to join with him in this dream for the world. Okay, you can turn it back on. Lights back on now. And, and so 
the kingdom of God is, is a vast teaching in Scripture, and, and, the, and the simplest diagram I know, which, which captures the essence of the kingdom, is, is this one here. And, it, it, and when Jesus came to earth, when he came, he brought the kingdom of God. He is the king. And the old age, in a sense, was interrupted. He brought heaven to earth. And the kingdom of God was already here. But the kingdom of God is not yet fully here. It will fully come when there's a new heaven and new earth at the end of history. But we live in this tension of the kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet fully here. So, so the future, in a sense, is here now. Uh, it's, it's, it broke in as Jesus came to earth. And so he drives out demons. The kingdom is here. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He, he releases forgiveness. People are forgiven. And now their shame is removed. And they have a relationship with the living God through Jesus. And so when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying for you know, Jesus' fullness to fill the earth. We're praying for an end to cruelty and, and war. Think of Syria. We pray your kingdom come. We think of what's happening in the Mideast right now. God, we pray an end of all that. We pray for peace. We pray for an end to greed and poverty and famine and genocide, all forms of cruelty and exploitation, anything that harms people, anything that blocks the life of Jesus coming to earth, we pray, God, remove it and let your kingdom come. No racism, no sexism, no, no classism, no gossip, no killing, no hate, no judgmentalism, no broken relationships. Heaven's a world of love. We pray that heaven would come to earth. And love would flow here on earth. That's why, even if you're not a Christian, when you're experiencing genuine love, it's something of heaven. When your beauty is called forth and your loveliness, it's like, you, you, people can't quite name it, but it, it's a taste of, of, of the kingdom of heaven. In fact, you can really rightly say that when we pray your kingdom come, you know what you're praying for? You're praying for the end of history. You're praying for, you're praying for a complete end of earth as we know it. You're praying for a new heaven and a new earth, the new world of God. In fact, every sentence of the New Testament really is your kingdom come. Behind every sentence is, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. And we're not asking just for a change of, of, of the political system in Syria, for example, or, or government. You're, you're talking about something far greater. You're talking about a whole new world. And so, because Jesus' glory is going to come in his kingdom, and all governments, all nations, all empires will be replaced. Every social program we're engaged in to improve the earth, it'll be replaced. And so we pray this, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And here's the key phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. Right now in heaven, his name is hallowed. It's sacred, it's lifted up. His kingdom is fully there. His will is being done in heaven. You see, and so God's concerned about the earth. He really cares about what's going on on earth. And he's got a lively thing going on in heaven. In a sense, with angels and archangels, all kinds of activity going on. And there's an exciting, invisible world going on around us. And so the earth is not all there is to history. And so what's happening in this prayer, your kingdom come, is we basically are praying for that would, would come to earth here, what's happening in heaven. That's why we are a people... We are, we, are, we are people what's called of hope. We, we are to be the most optimistic up people on earth, no matter what's happening around us. Because no matter how bad things are. Why? Because we know the end. We know there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. God's on the throne. He's got everything in the palm of his hands. And so Christians take time to party. We take That party we called worship. We basically, we, we let loose. And we celebrate every Sunday. Why? Because his kingdom is coming. 
Because the Lord rules. We pray, Lord, thy kingdom come. And uh, we have what's called a biblical hope, which is the word hope is the word for certainty. Now, we, we don't ever get cynical or pessimistic. So biblical hope of this certainty is very different than the way we use the word hope in our, in our culture. So I'll give you an example. You know, we hope for a better job. We hope to buy a house. We hope to retire early. I hope the New York Knicks win the world championship in basketball. Okay? <laughs> now, if you're a Knicks fan, a basketball fan, I have been hoping that since 1973. That's 41 years, all right? We were at a uh, little diner eating, my wife and I and my daughter, and uh, it just they, they put me right in front of the big, big screen TV, you know, 90, 900 inches, you know? And, and the Knicks were playing their game, and of course I'm locked on it, and of course they're losing. And I realize I am not just distracted, I'm angry, and I'm irritated, because I've been hoping for a very long time. Now, that hope I have for the Knicks to win is not what the Bible means by hope. Because there is no certainty this will ever happen. Not only. But there is a certainty. Do you understand it? it, it is, no matter what happens on earth, and, the, and Jesus speaks about in the end times, things will get horrific on earth. But we will be calm. We will still have a party of worship. We will still celebrate. Why? Because we know thy kingdom come. His kingdom's coming here. That's certain. That's our hope. Now, here's the problem with praying this prayer Your kingdom come. I have two. The first is very simple. And obvious that, that we all want to build our kingdom. You know, we, all, we have our own lives that we, we, we're handling. And, and um, you know, if I asked you, if I sat down with you one on one, I said, you know, what are your goals? You know, what are your priorities? What, what are your hopes and dreams? Again, whether you're a teenager or, 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 or young adult or single or married or in your 70s or 80s, I, you know, you, you'd have answers. You know, you're spending your energy and your time uh, to build your life. We'll call it your kingdom. And uh, you're increasing maybe your assets, your retirement fund, your, your resources. You're thinking about your comfort, maybe some financial security. Uh, you're building maybe your work career. You're, you're building your company maybe or your startup or your business. Uh, maybe you've got a family and you're building your family. Uh, you're building your, your kids. Uh, you're building your reputation maybe, your, your, your level of influence. It can go on. You know, but, but you're building something. And, and, you know, if I ask people, it's a great joke, you know, they asked Nelson Rockefeller, Rockefeller, John Rockefeller, richest man on the earth, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more, you know, and I think many of us, like, how much more do I need? And the answer is, for most of us, is I just want a little bit more just in case, you know. And, and so, as Rich mentioned last week, we're all building our, our, our own name, uh, and we're all building our own kingdom, and, and uh, in a sense, we all have our own will. That's a tower of Babel, when they wanted to build a name for themselves up to heaven, and and uh, I, if I can just illustrate it, uh, how most of us live, and I'll break it down in very simple terms. Scott Peck tells a story which I think captures how most of us live unconsciously. He tells a story about how he's approaching an acquaintance. And it's a ten-minute interaction. There's two to three minutes before he interacts, and then two or three minutes afterwards. And it goes like this. As I'm approaching this guy, I'm thinking about all the clever things I want to say to impress him. And then, when we're in this five-minute conversation, I'm listening what he has to say, but really only so I can turn with a clever response. And in fact, I'm watching him, even as I'm speaking, because I want to see the effect my remarks are having on him. And then when we finish the conversation, I walk away, uh, my only thought is what other things I could have said that really would have impressed him. But his point is that, that for that entire ten minutes, I was absorbed in my own kingdom. I was just absorbed in myself, even though we had a topic that we were talking about. And Alexander the Great, to me, is the great fellow who, who personifies this. If you know him, 
his, his, his history. Young guy died at 33. He came about 300 years before Jesus. And uh, he was a tremendous military leader. I mean, he, he conquered the Mideast, the Mediterranean, most of Asia. And he died very young. But he died very frustrated. Because even though he'd done this great feat, he was anguished by the slow pace that he had in conquering other kingdoms. And he did it all in 10 years. And so here's what Jesus says to you. I don't know where you're going with your life. He says this. Seek first my kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Now, now many of you know these words. Now, I want you to just really sit with them for a moment. He says, listen, when you pray your kingdom come, don't worry about building your own kingdom. Because don't worry about what you eat or drink or your future or security. Don't worry about it. Seek first my kingdom. And I want you to catch these words. All these things will be added to you. Everything you need. Yeah, but everything's going to be taken care of. Just seek my kingdom first. In fact, don't worry. I love that. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. The reason this verse is so challenging is because, and he says this right after the Lord's Prayer in the same Sermon on the Mount, is because we're not sure we can trust God with this thing. If I really seek you first in your kingdom, if I really pray this prayer, your kingdom come, and I get engaged with it, are you really going to take care of me? I've been burned before, and we're not sure. It's kind of like, you know, if you're in the stock market, you want, in, you want inside trading. You want, to know, you want to know, if you invest in this stock, I want to know what's going up. And I just don't know, and the problem is God doesn't tell us. It's a great story by John Cavanaugh. He's a, he's a philosopher, and uh, he, he went to to work and live with Mother Teresa in Calcutta for a number of months because he was seeking direction for his life, his next steps. And so at one point he got some time alone with her and he asked her for counsel about his future, what he should do. And he had these different options. And he says, would you pray for me uh, that I would have clarity, that I could see clearly? And she said, no. And so he was like really taken aback. And then she continued and said, clarity is the last thing that you're clinging to and that you need to let go of. And so he said to her, well, well you have clarity. You, you, you're, you know what you're doing and what you were supposed to do. And then she says to him, I, I never had clarity. All I had was trust. And then she concludes by saying this, so I will pray that you trust God. I will pray that you trust God. God has a dream for the world. That's the kingdom. And God has a timetable for that dream unfolding. And God has a dream for your life within his dream. Uh, but do you realize you have no idea what the big picture is? Neither do I. He invites us simply to trust him and, and lay aside our, what we're building in our kingdom and, and cooperate and join his. That's the first problem. The second is this. We don't just build a kingdom. The second problem is that we're in a rush. And we want to force things. We want to make this kingdom happen like my way and, and, and my timing. Let me just illustrate this in, uh, in an example which I'm really glad that my wife is not here to listen to during second service. I try to take care of my health. You know, I exercise, try to eat right, sleep right. And so, so, I, don't, so I don't get sick very often. But um, I did get a flu uh, of some sort, two days after Christmas. It was one of these coughs that started out slow and just seemed to deepen and broaden with time. And it went on for about two weeks. And for about a you know, few days there, I was just flat on my back. And um, 
I was a little bit angry at God for this. Because I had some things to do. I had some plans for that week between Christmas and New Year's. And I wasn't, you know, like a a two-year-old can stomp and pout. I wasn't quite stomping and pouting. But I was quite frustrated. I saw no redemptive gift in me being flat on my back. I told God that. He didn't respond. He tends to do that sometimes. Because you understand, I, I, I have a plan. I, I have things I want to do. And getting sick, which is not God's will in the first place, which I reminded him of <laughs> more than once, that there was, I, I had things to do and, and, I, and I, was, I couldn't do them. And I was quite a baby, I would say. And I, I tend to regress at moments like this. But it revealed, actually, the interior, my interior heart, which is, hey, you know what? It's my, it, we're going to get this thing done, life, and we're going to do it my way. And as you know, God sometimes has a way of stopping us to let us know that he's in charge and not us. But my response said a great deal about my own heart. And you actually, we actually see this in, in, in the story of Moses, who uh, also, uh, a little bit of a rush here, and forced things, in the story of Numbers chapter 20, and Moses, at this point, is leading two to three million people out of, the, out of Egypt into the Promised Land. And understand, it was 603,000 fighting men, along with women, children, and aged people. That's what they estimate, two to three million people. And so the people come to Moses in Numbers 20, and they complain that they have no water in the desert and they're thirsty, and they basically are blaming him. This is not the first time this has happened. So the Lord says to Moses, take your staff, speak to the rock. And it will pour out its water. So God says very clearly, just, just speak to the rock. You know, and water will come out. Moses says to them, he says to the people, listen you rebels. I love that. Listen you rebels. Must we bring you water out of this rock? And then Moses raises his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. See, God said speak to the rock. He strikes it twice. And then the water comes out. And then the Lord says to Moses, because you did not trust enough to honor me as holy, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Wow. He missed, and just you know, he missed the promised land. Many of us, we've got an agenda for our lives. We have an agenda for our kids. We're striking a rock. Thy kingdom come, and we hit the rock. And we're not enjoying the peace and joy of the kingdom of God at all. We're hitting rocks. We're mad at all the time because we're rushing. We've got our own plans for this thing. I mean, I, listen, my own app, when I pray your kingdom come, God's got a dream for the world, I realize for me it's like God just saying to me, just, just relax. Just trust me. Do what I ask you to do. Follow me even though it doesn't look like it's going to provide security and comfort. Just trust me, Pete, with this next phase of your life. I mean, if you're a parent, what are you praying for your kids? Some of you are striking rocks. You're going to be obedient. You're going to be... Your kingdom's going to come. You're going to rush it. You're going to make it happen. Or, you know what it's like? I mean, as a, as a pastor of a church and as a leader, if you have a business, you're building a family, you've got your plans, you know how easy it is to build a church, but I'm doing it my way? Oh, we're going to make this kingdom come. We're going to do a program. We're going to make this thing happen. Or expand this business. We're going to triple this business in the next six months. And uh, we rush. Even in relationships sometimes. We are just, we're, we're in a rush. We're going to make this thing happen. We're going to, we jump in. We'll strike the rock because we want this thing to move. The problem is the kingdom of Jesus is so different than ours that we, it's so counterintuitive. It's upside down and, 
And what happens is we keep running after earthly kingdoms and we miss his. Because here's the way his kingdom works. It's, it's lose your life and you'll find it. It is the last will be first and the first will be last. I mean, it is life comes out of death, new beginnings out of endings. The kingdom of God is in giving we receive. It's when we rest, God works. It is weakness is the way to power. We don't learn this in school. This is the opposite of the world around us. It's the humble who will be exalted. It's those who exalt themselves. They're going to be humbled, God says. In fact, the meek are going to inherit the earth. It's the broken. It's the meek. It's power under control. In fact, God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith, James 2. In fact, God's kingdom is small. It's little. Jesus says it's like a mustard seed. You can barely see it. It's imperceptible. In fact, the kingdom is very slow. God says a thousand years is like a day. It's like a watch in the night. Just think of that. A thou- for God, a watch in the night is three hours. That means three hours passed, for God, it's like a thousand years. We're so impatient, we can't wait a thousand seconds. It's slow. In fact, it's the weakest and the least among us. God says, there's my kingdom. They're indispensable for your whole existence. The kingdom of God identifies as the unimpressive, the insignificant, the orphans, the widows, uh, the elderly, the poor, the sick. These are the ones that say, these are, these are what you're all about. There's the kingdom of God. So, so that's why every Christian in the world, regardless of where you live, what kind of church you come from, we, we always move towards the poor. We always move towards people on the margins. Why? Because God's there. And so it's not about people. I, 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 when I go to the checkout counter... I, I, what do I see at Wallbounds, the food market? Celebrity magazine, us, people, you know, the rich and the famous, and, and uh, who's got a, you know, a million Twitter followers and on Facebook followers. And, do you understand? Everything shouting at us is the opposite of this. And so what happens is we, we try to, we want God's dream, but we don't want this. And we end up running after the wrong things. Listen, I had in my early days two, well, two kind of, I guess, famous pastors come to me. One said this to me. Uh, it was the early days of new life. And he said, listen, Pete, you want to you build your church big and, you know, basically fast and as big as possible. Because, Pete, when you walk in a room, when you've got a big church, you can walk in a room with a, with a bunch of people and the water is part, like the Red Sea. People look at you differently. And another pastor came to me and says, Pete, you know what? I know you're in Queens, but listen, you want to rent an apartment in Manhattan because you want to be near the corridors of power, preferably near City Hall. You know, and uh, because Queens is just like, you know, Queens. <laughs> but do you understand? It was, it was, then it was tempting. It seems crazy that God is going to transform the world with this. This is his plan. And so what happens is we say, ah, I'll do it my way. I'll build my own kingdom. I'll rush. I'll make the whole thing happen because this is never going to work. And God says, this is my kingdom. We cannot rush the kingdom. We can't force the kingdom. You know, through history, you can read about experiments of Christians trying to force the kingdom. And so, for example, in Cal- John Calvin in Geneva, Switzerland in the 1500s, made Geneva a Christian city. And he tried to force the kingdom. So a number of activities in the city were forbidden. You couldn't dance. You couldn't have statues. You couldn't attend the theater. You couldn't wear makeup. You couldn't wear jewelry. You couldn't have candles in church. You couldn't gamble, play cards. You couldn't even name your children uh, 
after anyone but Old Testament characters. And if any woman was found pregnant, she'd be drowned outside of wedlock. And as Ledley Newbigin says, he was a great church historian, looking at all of church history, he said this, the project of bringing heaven to earth always results in bringing hell from above. So if you want to do it on your own, that'll be, that, that, that's what history shows us. So that's why the separation of church and state is not a bad thing, actually, everybody. You want to be cautious in it. And uh, at least give us pause. But this idea of not rushing, or, or, the, or, the, or where am I I'm participating, but where am I building the kingdom for him in a way that's inappropriate? And where am I you know, joining God in his process of building his kingdom? There's a great book. It was written in the early 1950s by a Frenchman. And it's called The Man Who Planted Trees. And I love, love the book because, it, 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 to me, it gives a picture of what it means to patiently join Jesus in, for his dreams for the world and praying thy kingdom come. And uh, it, it, the story begins like this. It begins with a young man who's traveling and hiking in the, er, in 19, in the years 1910 through Provence, France. And he's going through a part of France that is completely barren, colorless, devastated, where nothing was growing. And there's abandoned villages there. The wells are dry. All life has vanished. He's walking mile after mile. But as he's walking, he runs across an old man who's a shepherd. He's actually in his 50s at this point. And uh, he's single. He lives alone. And this shepherd tells him the reason the land is dead is because there are no trees. And so every night, this old man or elderly man, would pick up a hundred perfect acorns. He'd sort out the acorns, and the next day he would plant a hundred acorns, a hundred trees. And so by the time this guy meets him in 1910, he has planted a hundred thousand trees. And uh, he, he says to the, to the young man, he goes, well, 20,000 have sprouted, but probably disease and rodents are going to take away 10,000, but eventually 10,000 oak trees will, will, will emerge. So the young man goes away to war, comes back 10 years later in 1920. And he can see the old man is still there. He's still planting. And he goes, I'm, I'm speechless. Because now, out of these acorns that he has planted, I can see trees as far as the eye could see. They're not massive, but they're there. Oak trees that cover the mountaintops like a carpet. Water flowing in brooks that had been dry. The wind, too, had scattered some of the seeds. So, so now you have water appearing. and You've got willows and meadows and gardens and flowers, and there's life. He goes away again. He comes back in 1935, 15 years later, and now these oak trees have grown to 20 to 25 feet, and the old man is still planting trees. And then he comes back in 1945, 35 years later from when he first met him, and here's what he sees. And the man is now 87 years old. This old man has planted one million trees. Every day, a forest has been built. Houses have been restored. Little by little, villages have been rebuilt. People have moved into the villages. In fact, 10,000 people now live in this great forest. The government of France ended up getting involved. And they all owe their happiness, as he writes, to this little old man. And here's how he ends the book, he says. When I reflect on that one man, armed only with physical and moral resources, he was able to cause basically this promised land to spring from a wasteland. I am taken with an immense respect for, what, for that old and unlearned peasant who was able to complete a work worthy of God. The story is so powerful because, you see, in our lives, as we think about, what am I doing for the kingdom of God? We do a little bit. We cannot see the vastness of God's magnificent plan of what he's doing. 
But we, need, we plant seeds, and these seeds grow by themselves. God just grows them when we're sleeping. The kingdom has a power that has so far exceeds anything we do. We do a little bit, God does 99% more and builds on it. God has a dream. He's got a dream for the world. That's his kingdom. He's got a dream for you joining him in, in that kingdom coming forth in the earth. So when you pray, Lord, your kingdom come, that's a call from Jesus. He says, come follow me. We're partners with him. That's when he says, remain in me, and I will remain in you, John 15. That's what it means to pray thy kingdom come, because you're saying, I'm remaining in Jesus, that he might be in me. Now, dim the lights again. Let's go back to this great painting by Caravaggio called The Calling of St. Matthew. Now, I want you to notice there's two types of people here in this painting. You've got, again, here's Jesus. There's his finger pointing to Matthew. Their eyes are locked on each other. And you'll notice there's light coming through the window, and that's all pointing to the light of Jesus in this dark room. And the light is on their faces now as Jesus points to him. But I want you to notice there's two types of people. There's these folks right here, these two guys who are counting the money, they're concerned for their security, they're building their lives and their business, but they are, they're building their own kingdom. They're not hearing the invitation to join God in his dream for the world and pray thy kingdom come. But, and you got these, this guy, these two are kind of, this guy's straddling the, you know, the bench. He's not sure where he's going. This one we don't have no idea. But here's Matthew. We know the story. Matthew gets up and he joins Jesus in building this dream, this, this kingdom. He gives his life to it. It's not just a one-time event. The reason the Lord's Prayer is so important, this, this is our lives. We're praying, Lord, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Say, Lord, I'm joining with you. Your dream for the world. I'm getting up. And, and, and the beautiful thing is, this king, Jesus, is like no other leader. Because he's not, again, just telling us what to do. He's going to come live inside of you. And, and he forgives us that we might love him, that we want to actually be like him. We, we, we want to join him in his sufferings. We'll, we'll do anything for this pearl of great price. Because he's loved us and touched us. Yeah, you can put the lights back on. And so you are invited today as we close to God's dream for the world. That's why I want to encourage you. Pray this prayer every day. Just pray it every day. Pray it a few times a day. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven, and take it into you. So let me invite the worship team to come on forward. And I'd like to just take a couple of minutes as the worship team comes to, to pray. And to have a couple of moments of silence before God as you, you ponder your life. And... Um, so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to, I want to just frame about 30 seconds of silence. And I want you to bow your head for just a moment. Maybe put your hands op- open towards heaven like we often do at the end of a service. And I want you to join with me in, and, and, and with the prayer. Our Father, God's good. He's Abba. He loves you. Who is in heaven? Hallowed be your name. And his great words, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I want to invite you to surrender right now with your palms open. Surrender worried about your name. Will anybody notice you? Surrender worry about whatever you're building, whatever kingdom, whatever your, just your goals. Just say, Lord, I, just, I lay it down. And then whatever your will is for your life, your plan, just and say, Lord, I, I surrender to you like Matthew, and I pray, Lord, your kingdom come. And I'm going to trust you, Lord, for your dream, for the world, your timing, the means to get there. 
Grant me the grace to not rush or manipulate or force good things to happen. Let's begin. Take about 30 seconds. So Lord, grant us the strength to not be deaf to your voice, to your invitation, to your kingdom. And Lord, grant us the grace and the power to wait on you, to remain with you, to trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. Let's all stand together. You know, we we build our own kingdoms, but we were actually we were actually made to rule. We were we we're actually made to to build. We we're made in the image of God to subdue the earth. So there is a, a good part of in a sense building a kingdom. The key is though we're not to build our own kingdom, but to build his. But it gets twisted up here. So as we close here, we've got the Lord's table to your right, and I invite you to come in and celebrate the Lord's Supper and eat and drink of Christ. But I really want to invite the prayer teams to come forward. And I've got a, a word, I, I believe, from God for many of you in this room. Some of you have been through some difficult times. And you might right now be in, a, in, a, in the middle of a big setback or a big disappointment. Or actually some significant suffering and loss. And it may just be that God has stopped you from building your kingdom. That God, like myself, he had me flat on my back. He's trying to get your attention. That your life is not about your dream for your life. It's about his kingdom and his dream for the world. And you joining him with your life to be a gift to this world and contribute to that dream that God's got for the world. And so I want to invite you forward because I, I don't even know how to change that willful, stubborn, I'm going to do this that's inside of us. And that ignores the kingdom of God. And Because we don't just want to pray it. We want to actually pray it, live it. And we pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is really coming from a deep place. Not just perfunctory words. So you know who you are. Some of you, you need prayer. Because only God is going to change your heart. You open yourself up. You do your 1%. God's got to do the other 99%. To enable you to actually trust him. That if you seek first his kingdom, everything else will be added on to you. To trust like that is frightening, isn't it? But Jesus says, don't you worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. You just seek first my kingdom. And I promise you, everything else will be taken care of. Oh, man. Talk about letting go. So, I'm going to invite you to come forward for prayer. Because I'll tell you, prayer, it says prayer changes things. It releases the power, the dunamis of the kingdom of God. And things happen there that can happen no other place. All right, so they're going to be here as long as they need to be as we close. And uh, you can surrender to the love of God. All right, with that, I invite you to open your hands up towards heaven if you like. And close your eyes and receive a blessing as you leave this place. Just sort of open your heart as best you can. 
And so as you even take this little step of a, uh, planting a seed by opening your heart, may the Lord's face shine upon you. May the Lord enlarge your capacity to receive His love, His power, the Holy Spirit. May it fill your cup to overflowing. And may the Lord do such a work in your heart that it will become soft and tender like a little baby. That you might throw yourself on the arms of God. You might trust Him wherever He might take you, whatever He might do in and through you. That God might grant you a, a vision to see the kingdom of God as like a pearl of great price that nothing on earth compares. And that you might experience the joy and the wonder of the kingdom of God. And that may God remove all worry and anxiety from you and fill you with His peace. And I pray this as you leave this place, that you may be a gift of the kingdom wherever you go. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thank you, everybody. God bless you. Have a great day.